Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about a course on happiness, and then we're joined by author Ebony Small. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, Hope that you're having a great day. Remember, you can find any of the articles we're talking about or the interviews we do, you can find those at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Also online, 1160hope.com and a podcast. Wherever it is, you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, We are thankful to those of you uh, who do that. Uh, Ian, happy, uh, what is today? Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. And uh, what is going on in your world today? I can't even remember what day it is. So you can tell I'm having a tough day, but how is your day going today? Well, it's just uh, Wednesday used to be back when we were actually together in the studio. You were just giddy. Okay. Like you you were sitting on that uh, that high rolling chair. So your feet kind of like dangled <laughs> like you're a little kid. I miss and you'd it. Be, you'd be swaying back and forth, just just eagerly awaiting the moment you could yell hump day. And yes. uh, it just it just felt weird to my ears to hear you say in a very somber tone, uh, happy Wednesday, Ian. Happy Wednesday. Yes, I can't say it anymore. Honestly, I just had a moment where I had to look at our rundown to know what day it was. I, I was like, is it Tuesday <laughs> or Wednesday? Oh, my gosh. What happened to me today? <laughs> We've all been there, man. Not, just- nothing, nothing but grace. One of those days, one of those days. So uh, a lot of big stuff going on in our country. We're a week away from the inauguration today. I don't want to spend a lot of time. Uh, on the news of the day, but it is a big deal that there's an impeachment going on. And I don't know why it like it feels like it should be a bigger deal in my mind. Maybe I'm just kind of getting used to all the craziness around it. Just a minute of what is your reaction to turning on the TV and seeing that there's another impeachment trial going on? What is my reaction? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meh. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's not totally true. I think that's that is part of the problem. Actually, we have. Um, I know we are we are desensitized. We're desensitized in a lot of ways, but there certainly is. There's a term for it. There's another psychological term where you you just sort of hit the the brim of your capacity, and everything else just yes. sort of spills over. And you're like, I don't, I can't take in any more information. I mean, some of that is my own habits and practices. Like I saw, I saw a tweet today. Someone said, you know what? That's it. I'm uh, I'm turning off the news and just watching a Ted Bundy documentary to relax. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds about right, you know, because you and I, I mean, to some degree, you know, we need to engage to prepare for the show. That's right. But on most days, I'm like, oh, I think I've listened to or consumed 800 percent too much news, and uh, I think it's probably having some kind of an effect. When you said "met," it's exactly how I feel today. Like it should be like like a. Uh, it should rock our world that there's impeachment going on. I'm like, I'm like, eh. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, it, should be, it should be more just, intense than that too, though. I think, I think that we probably need to recognize some level of insulation. I too. Agree. This isn't something that we're like really fired up about for or against. Agreed. That is certainly uh, an indication of our insulation from some of those conversations, I guess. And that's, I, I think important for us to at least acknowledge. It is so true. And I'm certainly not telling people that's how they should feel. In fact, I think it's a negative, but I just I'm surprised when I turned on the TV how I felt. I was like, okay, Uh, we'll see what happens here. So uh, and that's one reason I didn't want to spend a ton of time in this first segment on it. And I wanted to throw two articles your way uh, and and just uh, 
have a little conversation about um, they're both kind of tied together. So one out of the Christian Post, Jeremiah Johnson gets threats after Trump prophecy apology slams some in the prophetic movement. So Jeremiah Johnson, uh, he from Jeremiah Johnson Ministries, amongst other things, he prophesied. He said that uh, he, he had a word of prophecy before the election that Trump would win. Uh, he did not. And now he's apologized for that. And he's getting all sorts of death threats. He's losing all these sponsors from his ministry, mm-hmm. all sorts of craziness. Uh, and then this other one over at churchleaders.com to just the headline just says this pastor walks back claims of Antifa involvement in Capitol riot. This Tennessee pastor from Franklin, Tennessee, by the name of Steve Berger admits that he referenced, quote, incorrect reporting about the U.S. Capitol breach on January the 6th. And in a statement, the leader of Grace Chapel in Franklin first acknowledges misstating the age of a victim and basically saying, hey, I jumped the gun. I had it wrong. And now he's getting a lot of pushback. And I I would just when I read both of these together, I I, I thought to myself, on the one hand, I feel good that these guys are like kind of owning it and going, hey, we spoke too soon or uh, we got ahead of ourselves or whatever else it might be. And on the other hand, I want to be like, hey, can we just be more careful? Everyone who was prophesying or everyone who was making bold proclamations online and this and that, especially as pastors. And I, I find myself torn between the two, like, hey, good for you for apologizing, even though you're kind of getting ripped for doing it. Uh, and let's just be more careful. Let's let's just not have these. What's your reaction as you read these two? Well, you know what it made me first think of, actually, to turn it back on us? Remember the... Uh, what was it called? Covington Catholic School yes. confrontation yep. there at, um, oh, where was that? Lincoln Memorial. Is that right? I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. We we actually talked about it on the show and then had mm-hmm. to that next day apologize. Like, I think we jumped the gun on that one. And that was pretty early into our time, even on the show. And that that was a bit of a wake up call even for me because there was one, there's the there's the allure of like getting something out of the internet, you know, quickly mm-hmm. and we can unpack about how, how toxic that is. But two, having the responsibility of, you know, you and I have been given this, this platform and we we're deeply humbled by that, but by reporting something that was, was really only a half story. And as mm-hmm. more details came out, remember like that evening reading up, on, I think we probably were texting back and forth furiously. <laughs> I remember, correctly, I remember. Like, Man, I think we screwed up. I think we need to apologize and update. And, you know, that was just one, that was just one thing over the course of, of two years. That. I think, I think we've done, I think we've done all right there. Um, yeah. So your, your question's really kind of a two parter one. So this guy in Franklin, the, the, you're right. Christians in particular, like if we're people of truth, we just have to be more careful and we have mm-hmm. to be honest about the, um, the allure of being the first or the loudest is, ugly and it's i think we we need to be i mean i remember i think about our conversation with mark galley and, and some of what he was sharing about since stepping down from ct having the freedom to really sit with things and write you know in a, in a much longer format with a much more kind of measured response rather than feeling kind of the constant pressure of like oh man this thing happened we need a statement this thing happened we need an article um i feel some of that now the other aspect you know for jeremiah johnson's and i encourage you to read the entire article because what he depicts and explains about the kind of response that he has received is yeah. horrific. Like it's ha- it's haunting. Like it doesn't share any s- screenshots or quotes, you know, from whatever people are, but it, it like broke my heart. It like left a knot in my stomach, to be honest. I was like, how, how are we here? Like I get, 
disagreeing about this or that, but what he was outlining, what he was conveying was just dark, man. And that, it kind of broke my heart. Yeah, it's it's a great way to put it. And in the article, he's going to kind of call to task some of the uh, prophetic and charismatic movement and what he's seen being a part of that um, movement as it particularly pertains to President Trump and the election. And and he's really calling out some things, but it says he's lost. He's had in the last 72 hours, multiple death threats, thousands upon thousands of emails from Christians saying the nastiest and most vulgar things, uh, cussed out all this. We've lost ministry partners every hour and counting. And so yes. a, a lot of crazy stuff out there. But I do think, especially from that other story, what we really do learn, and you pointed out was like, you don't have to be first. Like it's there's some news organizations, they'll say we don't want to be first, but we want to make sure we're right. Uh, and and I think we have to, especially as Christians, as people who value truth, as you said, uh, the goal should not just be to put everything out there. Hey, I got this email forward. Let me send this around or whatever. Yeah, right. And especially uh, and, and if you're a pastor out there, I think uh, we have a unique um, opportunity to display that as well. The pastor here who's having to walk this back, he got into hot water because the governor of Tennessee goes to his church. And uh, oh, and boy. so that really. Uh, kind of put a spotlight on it. So anyway, I wanted to start there because we've been talking a lot about truth and yeah. being people who speak truth. And we want to continue pounding that home. But you can check out these articles at our Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, we are really excited to be joined uh, by author Ebony Small. Ebony is the author of the book, The Leader in You. She's going to join us for the next two segments here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, we couldn't be more excited to be joined right now for the next two segments uh, by author and leader Ebony Small. Ebony, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. For our audience, so they can get to know you before we jump into everything, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, well, once again, my name is Ebony Small. I am a native New Yorker, uh, currently joining you from the Bronx, New York. Um, I serve with a faith-based ministry out in Minneapolis, Minnesota called Pulse, which exists to awaken culture to the reality of Jesus. And I also serve locally here in New York City as an associate pastor at Bethel Gospel Assembly. And I am now an author, I can add that to my name, <laughs> of this book called The Leader in You, Discovering Your unexpected path to influence. So what I love about your book page here is the first sentence kind of grabbed my attention. It says, have you ever been thrust into a surprising place of leadership? And uh, that's a lot of that is my story, to be honest. I won't bore you with the details, but I'd, I'd love to know why is that sort of the central thesis of your book? The The path to leadership for a lot of people is like very intentional. And like I knew since I was three, I was going to become a leader. What is it, what is it about <laughs> like surprisingly being thrust into leadership that maybe you weren't prepared for? Well, uniquely for me, in every job that I have had since I've graduated from college, so now we're looking at like 20, about 20 years now, I have been thrusted, as I would say, into a new role um, within, of course, an organization that has had a lot of longevity and then have been asked to create some best practices around this new role, uh, bring on a team and, and help to orient them to it and then lead an organization into this place of a new normal. And so I have consistently felt like I have been thrust into leadership opportunities that I didn't 
automatically expect. Um, I think you look at a job description, you sign up to do the job, but you oftentimes don't realize the amount of impact and value you get to add to a larger organization or ministry or workplace Hmm. through your role. And so it changed the way I viewed work. It changed the way I viewed myself as a leader and realized very quickly that I would be a part of helping people learn together towards, um, again, this place of a, of a new normal. And so mm-hmm. I didn't get to just figure things out on my own, but I had to share learnings and be thinking of things in the, in that light. And it just, it really challenged and transformed how I viewed leadership. Mm-hmm. You also go on to say that every life experience, good, bad, or indifferent is a distinct marker that God used to hardwire you for purpose. Uh, Maybe that's not something people have thought about before, like, oh, these these experiences aren't doing anything. Can you talk about your own life, how how the each of your life experiences, as you said, was kind of a building block and a marker that God used in your life? Yeah, I would say that I am a, a product, a child of divorce. Uh, my parents divorced uh, probably before I was five years old. Um, I'm an older and on, on, older child, the oldest of, of four siblings. Uh, would find myself in schools that were new and didn't have the established norms of you know procedures or graduation protocols, and I was consistently finding myself in opportunities um, in life that were certainly brought about their own sense of, of I would say, strain for me, um, pressure as well. And then um, I had the dynamic of being a woman and a woman who identifies herself as a leader and a Christian and then a, a pastor and and having to stand in places where people don't necessarily view you um, as you would view yourself. And I would just think about from my very most painful experiences to my profoundly joyful ones. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of left with asking yourself and ultimately asking God, what do I do with the sum of all of these life experiences? Mm -hmm. And I have always wanted to go about my life um, not feeling like I have to be Held, held hostage to my past or a product of my past, but looked at my past through the lens of allowing it to inform my future. I want there to be purpose in my painful experiences because I think anyone that has had pain or trauma in their lives, you can very well lament over it and, and be in those places for years and years and years. And I just want to always be overcoming in terms of how I'm thinking about circumstances and how I'm thinking about my life. And so I had to embrace that if God is truly sovereign and if his plans for me are good and they are plans to prosper me and then not to harm me, then even the very negative, quote unquote, negative experiences in my life totally didn't catch him by surprise, mm-hmm. but they were meant to have an expected end in my life. And if I could just change my lens and change my perspective mm-hmm. with how I view difficult difficulty, then perhaps it could be a springboard to even greater opportunity. And you have to fight for that type of mindset, but it has been one that has truly changed the trajectory of my life and allowed Mm. me even through this book to pen some very difficult experiences, but to see so much um, truth and life and maturity and growth come forth from it. That's really Mm. good. Now, your book came out in July, which, I mean, this last year has been the year that none of us could have predicted for (laughs) an endless list of reasons. And in chapter two, you have this section called uh, Discerning the Times and Seasons. And I would love to know your thoughts on the role of discernment 
particularly for those in leadership, how important, maybe even more so now, is it for us to be able to uh, successfully and correctly, accurately discern times and seasons? What does that actually look like? So for the believer, I I do believe that uh, your focus in terms of how you view what you do vocationally, how you're leading within family, within local church context should always be from this mindset of being a servant Mm. and understanding that you are just stewarding a responsibility. If it's a role in an organization, if it's a role within your family, you are simply there to steward it and be the best version of yourself that is possible. And so as I look at my life and many others do as well from this posture of servanthood, I understand that whenever I am um, in a particular assignment, as you would, if it's a vocational assignment or a life assignment, a friendship assignment, whatever it is, I look at it as God, what do you want me to be doing in this particular place and for what duration of time? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that um, I am married to any one position. Um, some people feel like they are just as much as part of the company as the furniture and the <laughs> wallpaper. But I realize that I am literally just passing through. And how mm-hmm. could I add value where I am and to do so with a level of focus that helps me to accomplish the goals that I believe God has sent me into that place to do and so or to perform. And so with that does require you be discerning and knowing why you are where you are and Mm. actively be seeking that out. And then also be sensitive to seasons where you may need to shift, where your assignment somewhere might be done. And if you value um, and don't get your life value from what you do, but you find value in whom you are, then you can so easily relinquish things and knowing that I have done all that I can do here. And now it's time for someone else to steward this responsibility and take it further than where I can go. And Mm -hmm. I I love having that type of mindset because it has allowed me to be fruitful in so many different places. And I am not looking for any one particular thing to define me or to give me value or to make me feel like I have a level Mm -hmm. of importance. But There's a real sense of knowing I'm here on assignment. I think we all feel that all the more intently now coming out of 2020, we recognize our lives have been preserved for a reason, for a purpose. And I just want to be really intentional about living that out. Amen. Uh, That other voice here is Ebony Small. She's the author of the book, The Leader in You. Uh, And we are thrilled that Ebony is going to join us for another segment coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined for a second segment by Ebony Small. Ebony is the author of the book, The Leader in You. If you missed uh, the first segment we did with Ebony, please go get it at our podcast. Uh, It is well worth your time. So, Ebony, we're really glad that you're joining us again. And as we continue to talk about leadership and and, uh how God uses us in, in all the parts of our lives. I'm, I'm wondering, even from your own life, how have you gotten through seasons of like doubting, of doubting your leadership, of doubting that you can make a difference? What do you do when you're feeling that sort of doubt? When I am feeling doubt, I attempt to get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. One, I will start to remind myself of the promises that God has already given me Um, with regard to my life, um, with regard to my calling, and uh, look to those promises to be an anchor 
uh, for me when I have to stand in places that can feel very, very solitary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very important. Of course, prayer is incredibly vital. Um, I would describe myself as an intercessor and, and prayer is a, a vital function of everything that I do. And certainly the spiritual discipline of fasting helps to root out right. the doubt as well. But uh, so much of what has allowed me to be effective in various leadership capacities is this sense of just knowing um, that you know what you're good at and um, where you have the opportunity to add value and serve um, in a particular environment and being willing to um, stand in, in the deep end. Sometimes it feels like that to complete the task that you were sent to do. And um, one thing that I, I think so many of us could attest to is that leadership is is not easy and it certainly is not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. And if you view leadership through the lens of wanting to be popular, wanting to have title and wanting to have position, then I would say you have a very um, myopic view of what a leader is. Leaders are called to stand in the place of difficulty and lead others through it, right. which means that oftentimes you have to navigate it first yourself. But there has mm-hmm. to be a willingness to stand in hard places. And I think we see that evidence day after day. So many leaders are having to stand in hard places despite criticisms and judgments and, you know, this whole cancel culture that we live mm-hmm. in within social media. And it's just so important that you have the right mindset and know whom your anchor um, rests upon. I think, I think you're spot on. I, I, uh, I often have conversations with young, young, aspiring pastors and leaders. And, and more often than not, it's, it feels like their goal or aspiration is, oh, I just, I want to preach to thousands of people. Like I can't, you know, I hear things like that all the time, young leaders. And I, I don't even feel old enough yet to use words like whippersnapper, but like it sometimes feels like, <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, like that is such a narrow vision. I'd, I'd love to ask you kind of a two-part question. What would you say specifically to the young leader right now or, or the one who might become a young leader soon and maybe the, the veteran leader, the one who's kind of been in the trenches for you know a few decades and is wondering what's coming behind them? To the young leader, I would invite you to not view influence through the lens of social media likes and followers. Um, I would encourage you to develop um, the hard and fast characteristics of character um, and integrity um, understanding your own worldview, taking the time to spend in relationship with others that are different than you to understand how you can um, be a part of a, a culture and a world that is larger than yourself and allow yourself to be humble um, and not to uh, act as if every ounce of change that is necessary in this world is contingent upon you, but realizing that you do have a part to play, but you have a part to play as part of a larger tapestry that is a part of God's plan. And I think a lot of younger leaders, and and I say this with all sincerity, you know, struggle with the, the posture of humility because for so much of them, their rise to their platforms of leadership has come at the indictment of the generations that have gone before them. Mm-hmm. And they want to see a level of leadership that they feel like has been missing and they think it's their responsibility to bring it and do it all. And I would say, if you feel that boldness and conviction, wonderful, but just steward it in a way that builds um, bridges um, and not bridges divides um, and not only just, you know, divides people. And to veteran leaders, 
I would encourage you um, to not uh, be uh, just so um, insulated in your accolades and your years of experience, um, but be willing to change with the times and to be the type of leader that the times demand. And I think that that is what was so important about even Christ's example of leadership, that his leadership flowed from what the community and the culture demanded. He served the present day needs. And I believe that the responsibility of leaders. And even we see that throughout the Bible, leaders were raised up to respond to the needs that were around them. And so I believe our leadership should always be informed by what is and what are the needs that are around us. And so I would encourage you too to also walk in that posture of humility, not at all feeling like you have arrived, but understanding that your leadership should be transforming. Um, it should be uh, strengthened, refined, refired, and it should also have everyone at the table, younger, you know, older, and that you should be mentoring and shepherding other people, but doing so from a posture of servanthood and, and not from a place of, of pride. Mm-hmm. And, and so that would be my encouragement. That's great. And you just mentioned this, but I'm, I would love for you to unpack a little bit more. What is the role of mentorship? What is the role of learning and having a mentor as, as people grow in their leadership ability? Mentors have the amazing ability to pull out from people gems uh, that they see within them that the individual may not yet see within them themselves. And I have been a recipient of just some incredible people who I feel like God entrusted my life into their capable hands. And they were able to not look to make me a mini version of themselves, that whole mini me concept, <laughs> but they wanted to be uh, an accelerant to the things that God had uniquely planned for me. And so they would thrust me into roles and responsibilities that I didn't feel qualified for, but they didn't abandon me as I kind of flexed and worked out my own leadership muscles to navigate them. And so I think it's the responsibility of everyone to be looking out for those that are coming alongside them, those that have the level of passion and conviction that perhaps maybe you once did. You see things in them that certainly could be refined and honed, um, but you want to invest in them. Mentorship is about investing in people. It's more than text messages, but it's Mm -hmm. actually spending time. And yeah, we can do that virtually now. And hopefully one day, again, we can do that in person. But I believe that mentorship is the springboard um, to people becoming great leaders. And so we need more senior leaders, certainly more people who are willing to extend themselves by investing in others. I think it's a difference maker. It helps people save time with regard to not having to experience or stumble over things that you may have done um, and and it gives them a a, a purview and a lens with which to navigate the world in which we live. And and so my generation... Gen X, I feel like we were able to step into a lot of places of leadership because we had a generation that went before us and paved the way and helped us, walked alongside of us to come along with them for the journey. And it's been the difference maker um, in my life and so many others. And and so I I think mentorship is incredible and everyone should should commit themselves to it where they can. That's really helpful. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that people know where they can learn more about you, follow you on social media, get information about the book. So could you just hit us with all of that information real quick? 
Yeah, well, please uh, feel free to visit me on my website, ebonyssmall.com. There's no S on the end of my last name. So again, ebonyssmall.com. And you can connect with me there on all of the social media platforms that I'm a part of and would love to engage with you um, in that space. And certainly my book, The Leader in You, Discovering Your Unexpected Path to Influence is available everywhere that books are sold. And it's also available as an audio book for those that like it a little bit easier. So. (laughs) excited to share that with you too. That's great. Ebony, this has truly been our pleasure to have you on again. Ebony Small, her book is called The Leader in You. We encourage you to go get that uh, wherever it is that you pick up books. Ebony, thanks so much. It was great to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. It was wonderful to be with you both. Thank you. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, If you've missed any of the show, particularly the interview we were just able to do with Ebony Small. Man, Ian, I really enjoyed Ebony. She was uh, kind of a breath of fresh air. It was really good. If you missed that interview, head on over. Uh, You can find it at 1160hope.com. But the better spot is to go get our podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And you can find any of the interviews, any of the shows that we have done. Well, uh, it's still here in January. It still feels like the new year. We're just a, a bit into 2021 here. It feels like a lot has happened in 2021 so far. Yeah. Uh, but at The Guardian, uh, we read this. There is this interesting article. It says, I teach a course on happiness at Yale. And I don't know if you've ever seen this story about the person who teaches the happiness course at Yale. It's mm-hmm. gone crazy. But he writes, I teach a course on happiness at Yale. This is how to make the most of your resolutions. I found this when I saw this headline. I was like, this is going to be interesting. So why don't you get us into this article out of The Guardian? Yeah, I think we'll probably all agree to some degree with uh, the beginning here. It says, to say that 2020 wasn't the best year is an understatement. For many of us, it felt like a giant global dumpster fire. Not surprisingly, the stresses of living through a pandemic have had a terrible impact on our collective mental health with rates of depression and anxiety skyrocketing. You and I have covered that, by the way, on numerous shows. Many of us feel we can't say goodbye to last year fast enough. Uh, Again, this was written. Well, this was written on the 8th, so some stuff had already happened this year. But um, that's right. And that means that we're entering 2021 with high expectations, with the promise of a vaccine and the potential for a return to normality. The start of this year has given us something we've been missing for a long time, hope. Starting over uh, starting over after the year we've just had feels more exciting than usual. It's a brand new chapter in our lives in which lots of positive changes are possible. You know, this was posted on the 8th, Brian, but I wonder if it was written before the 8th. Feels it like does it. does a little bit, feels doesn't like it? it. <laughs> Research shows yes. this collective New Year optimism provides a powerful opportunity to change our behavior for the better. University of Pennsylvania psychologist Katie Milkman and others have shown that people are more driven to tackle new goals at shared temporal breaks than at random times of the year, something she calls the fresh start effect. I, I This is embarrassing. I've never actually thought about how significant the shared component of that must be. Because people, I saw a lot of naysayers like, hey, January 1 just a date. Like, if you want to get fit, yeah. start today. I'm like, yeah, but January 1 does feel good. But that makes a lot of sense, though. Like, yeah, but a lot of people are making resolutions, even if they have nothing to do with yours. It says, whether it's a birthday, right. or the first day of school, or even a Monday morning, fresh start moments give us a boost of motivation by focusing our attention on the big picture and what we really want out of life. They make us feel less weighed down by past mistakes, as if we've been given a blank slate. But if we don't approach our goals wisely, resolutions can do more harm than good. And then it's going to get into some of the, mm. the science and psychology behind why so many of our resolutions fail. 
or maybe maybe I need to be more. It's not why they fail. Why we often fail at them is probably more accurate. Right. Um, but some helpful ways to actually set them and engage them, which, you know, I know that we're a couple of weeks into this year, but you can still do these things. And I think I think they're helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Again, Dr. Santos has a podcast called The Happiness Lab, uh, which has been uh, it's become very popular over the last couple of years. But it is always interesting. I think I shared this a week or two ago that I I can't think of the last um uh, of the last New Year's resolution that I kept, <laughs> like I always make them. And, mm-hmm. and so when I read stuff like that, I'm okay, maybe my New Year's resolution is to keep my New Year's resolution this year. Right. But mm-hmm. it's, it's this idea that, um, uh, th- there are things that can help spur you on. How about yourself? Are you good? Not, that's the wrong way to ask it. Do you tend to keep your resolutions? Do you make resolutions at New Year's and do you tend to be able to keep them? Yeah. I, I tend to, if I set anything though, I tend to make very few to uh to set myself up for the highest likelihood of success to be honest um they tend to be pretty intense at times um but i, mm-hmm. I like somebody shared me their like notebook of resolutions for this year it's like five pages i was like you have five <laughs> pages of resolutions i couldn't even resolve to write for five pages like that's 100%. that's unbelievable so yeah i uh and again props to them they're they're an incredibly diligent kind of type a person um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I like the, the fresh start new year. It's, you know, it's unique for pastors too, because a lot that kind of leads up to Christmas can be pretty exhausting. This Christmas looked mm-hmm. way different, but then you, you often have sort of the week in between to reflect a little bit. And I find that that mm-hmm. as a buffer and a precursor to thinking about resolutions rather than drop 15 pounds or become a linebacker or what, you know, like there's. There's a a little bit of a sort of respite rhythm prior to January one for a lot of pastors that I find yeah. to be a helpful lead. And so I'm not like just making I'm not just throwing darts at a wall and like, well, I guess I'm doing that this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so interesting. This article goes on to say we channel our harsh inner drill sergeants. We try to mortify ourselves into better habits. We tell ourselves that we're fat, lazy, out of shape, weak that our procrastination's holding us back, that it's all our fault. That negative self-talk doesn't feel great, but we assume shaming ourselves is the only way to successfully motivate positive change. Right. But, she, uh, the author writes, that approach is surprisingly ineffective, particularly if your goal is to feel happier in the new year. First, our minds have bad intuitions about what we can do to improve our mood. The research shows we make happiness mistakes all the time. We complain too much, thinking we're letting off steam but do so at the cost of noticing uh, at the cost of noticing the good things in our lives. We avoid social situations, thinking alone time is the cure for our blues. But research shows we're happier if we stay connected to friends. We also assume happiness involves changing our circumstances. But as someone who teaches an entire course on happiness, I know the research shows most of these popular January goals don't improve our happiness as much as we assume. I find that interesting because when when I've never thought of it that way, but when the author writes here, uh, we mortify ourselves and we just beat ourselves up like you need to do this this year. Uh, that's how I, I, I like I think. Yeah, that's actually how I kind of function. And we did a story about that a couple of weeks ago about like what motivates us. And uh, I don't know why I do that. But once they wrote that, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I do it. Like you need to get in shape for this reason and be healthy and this and that. And then and then you don't do it. And then, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I found that to be interesting. Have you ever thought about that, about how we mortify, try to mortify ourselves into better habits as she Oh, writes? yeah. I've, I've certainly been guilty of that myself. I, I like how it, it goes on to explain a little bit of maybe a different approach. It's not saying don't have fitness goals. I think a lot of us probably really, really exactly. need them. But, yeah. 
you know, she goes on to say, maybe instead of trying to stopping to try to change your body shape and focus on changing your mindset and mention some simple things like counting your blessings before you fall asleep. Or, you know, if you're mm. uh, of a more liturgical background, like the prayer of exam or something at the, at the end of the night, later, uh, Harvard psychologist Dan Gilbert showed that no matter what we're doing, we're usually happier when we're paying attention. Like the idea of just being present. Another study shows that people are happier when they're helping other people in need. Like there's, components there that I think when we hear them, we think, well, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense, but it's easy. I think a lot of this has to do with marketing too, right? How many ads for Peloton did you see or a gym or a, you know, like, and I'm not, <laughs> yes. I, I'm not like blaming big, bad, you know, Facebook in the sky or whatever, but there is certainly something to be said about like what's being pushed on us. It's kind of hard to sell better mindset or write down four things you're grateful for every morning, but over and over and over again, it shows that like, in as little as like two or three weeks, sometimes you can see dramatic yeah. improvement and we'll still sometimes be stuck with, you know, an obsession with a new exercise piece of equipment that we got and fail to actually be present or to prioritize gratitude. I think those yeah. things are really, really important. I love the way Dr. Santos ends this writing by recognizing the ways our minds lead us astray. We can be sure not to squander the powerful fresh start effect of the new year. Doing so requires overcoming the overwhelming cultural urge to pursue total change, mm -hmm. as well as extending ourselves a little grace. And that's why I've committed to a different resolution this year. Instead of hitting the gym or the diet books, I've pledged a little more self-compassion. I suggest you do, too. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a, a just a great way to end it. You can find this at our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages uh, at Common Good Talk. Well, the first hour of the show is in the books. Uh, we're excited to be back here. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about Patricia Heaton. Uh, you may know her from Everybody Loves Raymond and something interesting she said specifically to Christians. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to discuss Wheaton College's statement on the Capitol raid. And then uh, should we be less afraid to be afraid? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can go ahead and find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk. Also online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. We're grateful to those of you who have done that. Uh, for nothing else, go back and listen to the interview we were able to do last hour with Ebony Small. Uh, the author of A Leader in You, uh, and, and you'll, be, uh, you'll enjoy that. We'll, we will tell you that much. So anyway, uh, Ian, let me ask you a hard-hitting question, and there will be a reason for this question. Everybody Loves Raymond. Were you a fan of the TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond? Well, I think if, if I'm going to be really honest, my parents were the bigger fans, and so... Uh-oh, I'm going to feel old now. <laughs> kind, kind of my... No, no, no. That's a... I mean... You're, I really like the show Cheers. Like it doesn't mean I, you know, True. watched it when it was live necessarily. But they, yeah, my my parents really loved that show, and so it was sort of it was on a fair deal in the background. So I feel like, yeah, yeah, I'll say that I appreciate it. I've I've certainly watched some of Ray's comedy stuff since then, and uh, I th I think I think he's pretty intriguing. But I don't necessarily think I would put myself in the category of fan. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's. I like things like The Office and Seinfeld much better. Wonder Years, you and I were discussing the other day. Would you consider Wonder Years a comedy? I think so. Uh, oh, so, really? Uh, oh, I don't think I would. Yeah. What, what, what would you? This is this is probably way off topic. What would we consider? Because it's not a drama. Of course well, it's a I drama. It's not a drama? I don't think so. But I don't know what I would call it, except that I love The Wonder Years. <laughs> it might know. be my all-time favorite show. Might be my all-time favorite show. But anyway, I digress. The reason I ask you about Everybody Loves Raymond, because Patricia Heaton, who played Ray's wife in Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, and uh, she came out with an interesting message. And I, I want to read it, not because of who wrote it, but because of the message itself. And I want you, after I read it as a pastor, uh, I want you to go, do you agree with what she's saying? Is what she's saying helpful? Helpful? Maybe where do you disagree? Okay. Because I think a lot of people are saying what she's saying here in these days that we're in. So Patricia Heaton shared a message about faith amid the confusion and the chaos of the past few days. After the ride at the U.S. Capitol, uh, that has the news has been dominated by alarming stories on the left and right ahead of the inauguration on Friday. Uh, Patricia Heaton took to Twitter to lament that common sense is hard to find right now. She said, if you're a common sense person, you probably don't feel you have a home in this world right now. If you're a Christian, you know you were never meant to. In response to a, comment a commenter that disagreed with her, the actress clarified her religious stance, explaining that Christians believe their existence is in many ways a stepping stone to an eternal afterlife. She wrote, respectively, this world is only temporary. I love many things here, too. And yes, we are called to love our neighbor and be good stewards, but this ain't it. She added in a follow-up comment, we are meant to serve Christ while we are here. And so it talks about who she is, the actress. Uh, has been very vocal in her faith and about social media and other things. So I, I found that I want to use that as a jumping off, though, point, Ian, because I think there's a lot of people saying that right now around the church. Hey, th this isn't our home. Just hold on uh, and other things. And so as I read that to you, or maybe you read it earlier, just uh, just her perspective on how the Christ followers should be viewing what's going on. Uh, what did you think of it? What would you maybe want to clarify? What are your thoughts on it? Well, it first made me think of uh, that C.S. Lewis quote that I'm I'm sure you've used in a sermon before. Um, it says, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And mm. that's that's certainly something that since I read it, I mean, maybe even in high school, it's it's really kind of resonated. I do want to clarify something, though, and I am appreciate the, the nuance with which you set up that question. I think... We do need to be careful, though, because sometimes there can be a, a certain I'll fly away kind of theology that mm -hmm. um, relegates any responsibility to not only care for others, but care for the planet to like, hey, it's all going to burn anyway. I'm going to heaven. You're like, <laughs> I, I think and I don't mean to put too fine a point on this. I think the biblical story is much more about engagement with the world than escape from it. If that makes sense. Ooh, let's both begin with E. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I definitely get what she's saying. I do think there is something to that though. Like when, oh, where is it? Ecclesiastes that, that God has, um, has planted eternity in the hearts of men. Like that, this idea that like, yeah, your, your heart will, will sense to some degree. And maybe that degree is in direct relationship to our intimacy with Jesus. Like that, 
ah, there's, there's more to all of this than like what's happening right in front of my face. Like there's, I think that's some of what, you know, planted eternity means. It doesn't mean, however, and this is probably where a lot of the tension lies, like, well, (laughs) hands off because of uh, the the tomb's empty and I'm going to heaven when I die. So I don't need to talk or vote or be generous or work for justice or any of those things. I think that would be a mistake. Um, But I, I can, I can certainly understand the the sentiment behind what she was saying. Mm -hmm. I think I, when in doubt, say that it's C.S. Lewis. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis who also said something to the effect of those who are the most heavenly minded are the most earthly good? Something to that effect. Um, and I, I think the struggle for us as Christ followers is exactly that. How do we, like Paul said, for me to live as Christ uh, and to die as gain, kind of having heaven as my home, you know, this kind of perspective and, and allowing that to then fuel how we live here and 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 following out uh, who we're supposed to be. So how would you answer for somebody who goes, I don't even grasp or get, how do I grow in heavenly mindedness? And I don't really follow how that fuels then how I live now. How would you answer that for somebody going, what does it even mean? What does it look like to grow in this kind of heavenly mindedness? Well, I mean, there's a couple of letters in the New Testament. Um, I think chiefly Philippians 4, right? Where Paul gives this whole list of things that we're to, Think about whatever, you know, whatever is mm. true, whatever is lovely, what is worthy of praise, admirable, all those things. I, I don't think he's suggesting some sort of like uh, ethereal nirvana here on planet Earth during our time. Like, hey, just ignore everything that's happening and just think happy thoughts. I don't think that's a think happy thoughts mm-hmm. verse, but I mean, it is kind of perfect that you, we were just talking about this in the last segment too. the the uh, the notion that what we set our minds on actually does have real implications into how we live the life that we're living. I think mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me that brain science and psychology continues to sort of reveal what the scriptures have said for a long, long time. Uh, you even think about like the garden, you know, we often kind of highlight that they, they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, but that action was rooted first in a belief, a mindset, right? Like the, it, it wasn't just, well, I guess this fruit's here. And I guess, you know, that whole narrative is, is in some ways pointing to us the significance of what we set our minds on and the types of things that, you know, when you think about the serpent saying that, ah, did he really, did he really say that? Did God really say that? Like, I think that's at the root of a, a lot of our missteps. A lot of our talk It's oh, did God really say that's the most holistic way to restore Shalom to the world and to live as a fully integrated person and all these things. You know, I think when we set our minds on the things that, that God invites us to, it does absolutely have implications in the here and now in ways that mm-hmm. sometimes are big and sweeping, but more often than not, they're like really incremental. They're really small. You know, I think of like when Ortberg says, you know, habits eat willpower for breakfast. Like it starts to build into us what some might call like spiritual practices or spiritual rhythms, like thinking on these things, be mindful mm-hmm. of eternity in heaven and heaven and the great perspective that the story isn't ultimately about me. Um, that's a, that's a helpful thing to keep out in front especially in a season like the one that we're all facing right now. Yeah, that's well said, man. If you want to read the article or we'd more interested to know what you think about this, you could do that at our Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, uh, my alma mater is in the news, Wheaton College. As 230 Wheaton College staff and faculty released a very specific statement this week that's kind of making some news. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're really glad to have you with us here today. Uh, as we said, if you've missed any of the show, go ahead and get our podcast. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. Here's what we ask you to do. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that really does help us. It helps other people find the podcast more easily. Also, you can find old shows at 1160hope.com. Well, uh, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that I'm a proud uh, alumnus, a uh, graduate of Wheaton College way back in the class of 1999. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because my alma mater is in the news a little bit as 230 uh, faculty and staff signed a very specifically written statement that I want to read for you. And then Ian, I'd love to know not only what do you think of the statement, but what do you think of just the action of releasing a statement? From kind of one of the bell, uh, you know, kind of, kind of one of the main evangelical institutions in the country being Wheaton College. So let me read it and then we'll reflect on it. It says statement from Wheaton College faculty and staff concerning the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It goes this way. The January 6th attack on the Capitol was characterized not only by vicious lies, deplorable violence, white supremacy, white nationalism and wicked leadership, especially by President Trump, but also by idolatrous and blasphemous abuses of Christian symbols. The behavior that many participants celebrated in Jesus's name bear absolutely no resemblance to the Christian teachings or ethics that we submit to as faculty and staff of Wheaton College. Furthermore, the differential treatment displayed by those with a duty to protect in their engagement with rioters who trespassed on the Capitol grounds illegally when compared to recent protests over police brutality in D.C. last summer illustrates the ongoing reality that systemic racism in our country is tragically and undeniably alive and well. These realities are reprehensible. Our Christian faith demands shining a light on these evils and the simultaneous commitment to take appropriate action. In the days and weeks preceding January 6th, many more leaders, including many evangelical leaders, could have spoken truth to the disillusioned supporters of President Trump, diminishing the prospects of violence and bolstering the witness of Christian love and the call for justice in our civic life. Some did. However, many unwittingly, uh, many unwittingly, I lost my spot. However, many wittingly propagated lies or were unduly silent in a just cause. Our Christian faith demands courage. We repent of our own failures to speak and to act in accordance with justice. And we lament the failures of the church to teach clearly and to exercise adequate church discipline in these areas. Moreover, we grieve over the inadequate level of discipleship that has made room for this type of behavior among those who self-identify as Christian. We pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us all manner of idolatry, and we commit to speaking plainly against it wherever and whenever we find it. We commit ourselves to a more faithful witness in our callings as the faculty and staff of Wheaton College and will work diligently to provide ample opportunities to show students, as well as the larger Wheaton College and Christian community, how to practice discernment and civic engagement to demonstrate the connections between love and justice and to courageously communicate the truth, even and especially when the truth is difficult to hear. We pray that in doing so, we will fulfill the Lord's requirement to us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God, as found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And then it says, uh, here's a spot to sign, and the signatures go and go and go. It is now up to 264 faculty uh, and staff. And so, Ian, uh, you read this. I know you and I were texting just a little bit about this. But when you read this, I'd love to know two impressions from you. What would you think of the actual statement? 
And what do you think about that many staff and faculty at a place like Wheaton College feeling the need to uh, to put out a statement at all? Well, if you'll allow me, Brian, I, I'd much I'd be much more interested in, in your take, having been a student there. You're an alma mater of, of Wheaton College. I mean, how did how did it hit you? Uh, it, 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 Remember one of my old roommates, Noah Tolley, who has been on the show multiple times, is now a faculty member at the college. Uh, I first saw it on his Facebook page. Yeah. And to be honest with you, man, uh, I was I was impressed. I, I was proud that our faculty and our staff said, you know what? We feel the need to make kind of a cohesive, unified statement. There's certainly a, a lot of staff and professors who didn't uh, didn't sign on. And, uh, you know, I'd be very interested to know what the administration has to say about it. But I appreciate at the very least uh, the college that I'm proud of and associated with saying, uh, you know, what, we're going to kind of put our money where our mouth is because we know not everyone's going to be excited about what we're saying here. Uh, but we're going to do this. We're going to kind of put a stake in the ground and and do this. And and so I do applaud them for doing it. And they put their names to it. Uh, and so on that level, uh, you know what, I, I kind of am proud to call Wheaton College my my alma mater and say, you know, standing up for what they think is right. So what what parts of it do you think might be the most problematic for them? Uh, like as in people's responses to this? Like what are people responding to? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned off air a little bit that you're already seeing some of the. the I am my Facebook opinions. feed. I've, I'm I, I am part of some Wheaton College, you know, Facebook groups. And, uh, you know, as I said, I would say the the reaction to this has been mixed, I would say. Uh, and I think the one that I okay. see the most, to be honest with you in this may or may not surprise you is uh, is taking a direct line at President Trump. There's a lot of but what about the other side, you know, and what about, you know, divisiveness on both sides uh, and using this as an opportunity to discuss systemic racism. I think there's been people going, I, I, I agree with you about the Capitol, but I don't agree with you making the connection to the protests this summer uh, or uh, that this is another sign of racism. And, you know, then you start getting words like woke and other things thrown around. Uh, but those have been the two main ones that I've seen people going, hey, I don't understand why it feels divisive in itself to have to go just after Trump followers. And that's been one of the debates. And I would say the other one is exactly that. It's about, you know, this to, it feels like a leap to say that this is yet another sign of racism. Why did they just have to be a part of that? Uh, and let's just focus on the capital. Those are the two. So, uh, those are the two I've seen. So yeah, that's my feedback. Yeah. What'd you think of it? Yeah. I saw a comment here. I think it was actually on, yeah, this is on, uh, Noah Tolley's original post. He says, it's a great response, but there's no accountability on their commitment written in this letter, not saying they won't follow through, but it's way past time. Account accountability is held to a higher calling than unity and quickly. Interesting. But that was, uh, Interesting. And again, it is probably worth reiterating, too. This isn't no Wheaton College's mm -hmm. official position. It's the staff and faculty. Right. So that's there seems to be a lot of confusion online right this, now, about yeah. even about that piece. Like this. This is the right. The staff and faculty who've gotten together. And how many, I think it's how many names did you say? Maybe even above it now. Yeah, it's, it's uh, two, 264. Oh, yeah. 264. Okay. And uh yeah, and I know enough about the college to look at it and go, oh, there's a name I don't see. There's somebody else I don't see <laughs> uh, and other people that sure. graduated. Yeah, right. But you do see some names of people who've been on the show. Esau Macaulay I'm looking at right here and others, Noah Tolley. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, do you think that this is something we're going to increasingly see from other institutions or maybe even from churches as we go forward? Do you think this kind of 
we're sticking a stake in the ground or a line in the sand is something that a we will be seeing or something that would be helpful from other institutions or from very sp- or specific churches as well. I do wonder about that. I know that a, a number of churches made a very specific point to say something this last weekend. Um, part of what uh, might be problematic is that something like what happened on the six will just be another thing that we, you know, we briefly mention in service mm-hmm. and then kind of move on from um, some might, propose that that's wisdom, you know, to not get caught in the muck. Others might say like, these are symptoms of a much deeper issue. So I don't, I don't know that I personally anticipate a lot of statements necessarily like this, um, but I I could be way wrong. I, I, a lot of the comments, even on social media, like, Oh, I wonder if so-and-so school or this school or my alma mater is going to weigh in or say something. I can't even imagine the kind of like internal pressure that a lot of those institutions must feel. Um, But I I think that there is something to be said, especially if you are responsible for like shaping and educating people to at least be yes. clear, you know, to have to have some level of like, all right, when we're going to take the guesswork out of it for you. Yeah, and and I just appreciate people putting their names to things. Right. I, I look at I'm just looking at it just right now. You know, Rick Richardson or Doug Moo uh, or Scott Moreau or Jerry Root. Some of these Esau Macaulay, some of these bigger names in uh, in evangelical academia. Uh, and then other people who, you know, are just on staff there. And and so putting your names to it or saying, hey, I believe this and others who didn't didn't put their name to it. And so, as you said, it's it's an interesting uh, development. We'll see if there's more of this uh, going forward, as we said, from churches and institutions. We, we'll put that up at our Facebook page. Go check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Well, coming up next from Christian Headlines, actually, a friend of ours, Jim Dennison, wrote, we should be less afraid to be afraid, says an inspirational rock climber. We're going to talk about fear next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Thanks for being with us today. In a minute here, we're going to talk about this article written by Jim Dennison. He was just on the show, was it yesterday, the day before? Uh, from the Denison Forum on Truth and Culture, he writes, we should be less afraid to be afraid, says inspirational rock climber. We're going to talk a little bit about fear. But before we do that, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the show is when Ian tells us the holidays of the day. And uh, I could use some some just good holidays today, Ian. So what uh, what is what are that would be the right grammar? What are the holidays today? I, know. I think it's what I, am, you know when you what say something like, nope that's wrong <laughs> it just comes right out oh yeah every moment of every day yeah uh but before i do that brian i would like I to do okay. something else yeah. if that's okay uh per per the first segment of this hour we were having a bit of a um oh not a debate we were just inquiring between two adults right. what the wonder years actually was and i googled it and no joke <laughs> here's what the first sentence on wikipedia reads the Wonder Years is an American coming of age no! comedy drama. <laughs> they they wimped out. <laughs> it's both. It's both a com- no. I've never even seen that category of sh- it's a comedy drama or a dramedy. A dramedy. <laughs> that's true. That's that's what it should say. A dramedy. It's there Wikipedia. Go. I'm going to go edit it. Anyway. Oh, that's awesome. All right, a couple of uh, a couple of important days and then we'll get into the silly ones. It is Constitution okay. Day in Mongolia. It is Democracy Day in Cabo Verde. It is Liberation Day in Togo. It's Korean American Day. I saw uh, Daniel Yang make some posts today about that. I knew that one already. And then here are the silly ones. Are you ready? ready? Yes. It is National Sticker Day. By the way, my youngest daughter 
I thought it was a joke. She was like, I want to, I want to start a sticker business. And like for Christmas, she got like a sticker printer and she's making really cool stickers. <laughs> like, yes, a hundred percent. And I, shame on me. I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, this will go. And she's like, she like draws them and makes them and like, they really, they're really legit. Wow. <laughs> Good for her. I have a three and two year old, so my entire house is covered in stickers. Some of them are the kind that don't come off. So that's super fun. Like, oh, this is now permanently on the wall. All right. Well, National Sticker Day. It's also National Rubber Ducky Day. Uh, I think of the uh, Bert and Ernie song. That certainly played a lot in our our house. And then last but not least, Brian, happy National Peach (laughs) Melba Day to you. I don't know what that is. Should I know that? Uh, Well, I don't know that you should. It's a dessert. I think it's like Melba. Yeah, I, th- uh, I don't know what Melba means, but I think it's peaches and then ice cream, maybe a specific kind. And then I think it's like a like that a raspberry sauce wonderful. or something. I think that's – I think I've had it before. I think it's raspberry, maybe it's strawberry. Yeah, I think that's what a, I think that's what a peach Melba is. I'm not – It is totally a dessert that sure is both though. a comedy and a drama. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a dramedy wonderful. dessert. Okay, I get it. If a what you described is actually what peach Melba is, sign me up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a place to sign you Somebody up. Somebody delivered like to us. Anything, that but. sounds wonderful. Okay, Jim Dennison, mm-hmm. legitimately friend of the show. Uh, he – he wrote at Christian yeah, Headlines, awesome. they picked up something from the Denison Forum about fear. And so here's the beginning of it. It says, last year, she was trying to climb the famous 3,200-foot El Capitan Peak in Yosemite National Park uh, by using the difficult Golden Gate route. She fell, but fortunately escaped with cuts and bruises after she was rescued by fellow climbers. She later posted photos, said, I'm banged up, but going to be okay, undeterred. She tried again earlier this month. Uh, Harrington fell 12 hours into the climb, her hand slipping when she was a pro- Oh, my gosh. 2,800 feet off the ground. She hit her head, causing no, a deep you. gash. However, she used makeshift plaster to stem the blood flow. And here it goes and started again. And this time she succeeded. The 34-year-old completed the task in 21 hours, 13 minutes and 51 seconds, becoming just the fourth woman to do so. Harrington says she regularly feels fear when climbing, but states we should be less afraid to be afraid. It's a very valid emotion, and it's something we shouldn't shy away from. In a lot of ways, we can use it to fuel uh, as fuel and as strength. So Jim Dennison is going to jump off from that. But let me, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on just that idea of fear? Because I'm a pretty fear. I'm a pretty uh, risk averse person and fear kind of tends to stop me from doing things. And this is clearly a type A person who's going to, you know, climb, fall and climb again. Uh, And she says, no, we should allow fuel to be a uh, we should allow fear to be a fuel uh, and 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 serve as a strength. What do you think about that view of fear? I've I've heard a number of elite athletes make similar types of statements like when they um they've even done brain scans of like well like what would you put as like a high stress like a game seven like the pitcher though like you're like this hangs on you you know where like you and i would be like oh i just i would crumble yes. just in a puddle of tears. <laughs> i would like when they're finding more and more of these elite athletes like oh it's not fear that they're experiencing it's like it's like excitement like fear and excitement are actually i guess in the brain more 
closely related than I realized. But I also so did, did you ever see the the documentary Free Solo? I, you know what you're talking about. I'm you know not talking seen about it. it's it's Alex Honnold, and it's the same thing. He's free soloing El Capitan, and um, it's it's bizarre. It's so interesting, but also weird to watch because he's got a, he's got a, a girlfriend. I think they're married now, but you know they're interviewing each other separately sometimes and he's just like oh yeah I, I could die that's what it means to be a climber like you you uh you could die at any time and then it like cuts to her and she's like i don't want him to do this like i don't like it's an under there's a very understandable uh we used some of that actually in a sermon about a, a year and a half ago and they did actually find that the fear centers of his brain don't light up the way that the average brain does like he legitimately has some might even call like a neurological advantage for doing wow, really, really frightening things simply simply because of his brain chemistry. Yeah, it was re- really, really interesting. I don't know. I don't know about uh, the woman here that that Denison is referencing, but I think and I'm probably not as risk averse as you, but I'm not I'm not base jumping, though. Like it's I'm, I'm probably more scared of some of those physical things, but I like a little bit of. You know, Donald Miller used to call it like life just beyond the breakers. Like, I kind of like a little bit of the, like, wow, oh, yeah, this could go terribly. <laughs> this could, this could explode. This, you know, there's there's certainly aspects of that that I can find really, really enthralling. Some of that has probably changed since yeah, becoming yeah. Like a husband and a father. But it is one of those. And I, I Dennison, I think is um, just incredibly wise. And the rest of the article is, I think, actually really helpful because sometimes, you know, the don't be afraid of fear. It, it exists like in the in the the meme clickbait mm-hmm. headline space, but no one ever like unpacks like, well, what's that? Okay, what does that actually mean though? How do I? I'm afraid right now. How do I just not be afraid? So I appreciate him actually giving the real estate to yeah, to and Denison kind of the that. money paragraph. He says the end of a year like 2020 is a great time to focus on the only one we can trust to lead us into uncertain futures. As Emily Harrington, the climber noted, we can use our fears as fuel uh, and as strength. But the Bible teaches that we use our fears best when we give them to our father in faith. When we do, we learn to find God's strength, even in the hardest places. And then at the end, he says, uh, in the great divorce, C.S. Lewis observed there are only two kinds of people. A lot of C.S. Lewis today. Uh, only two kinds of people in the end. Those <laughs> who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. <laughs> uh, and so he mm-hmm. says, as a result, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock it, it is open. So just an interesting article. Uh, Denison's point is kind of, yeah, we take our fears to our Heavenly Father. Uh, and that that is kind of one of the invitations and one of the keys as we face fear. Uh, but yeah, I, I certainly don't understand people like this climber. <laughs> if I fell off a cliff, I'm like, nope, I'm done. I am done. But, uh, give it a read. A good friend, you know, friend of ours, friend of the show, Jim Dennison. I think this is a, a very helpful perspective and one that we'd love for you to read. Well, coming up next, we're going to co- uh, end the show from the Gospel Coalition. You don't have to have a well-formed opinion on everything. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you with us today. If you've missed any of the show, uh, you can find the things we've talked about at Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter at Common Good Talk. Also online, 1160hope.com. And go ahead and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that does help us. Well, 
We always like to close the show uh, just to leave you with something to think about, whether to be inspired by or a challenge. Uh, and I found this article. It's a year old, but man, do I think it probably fits even more now than a year ago. Uh, written by Trevin Wax at the Gospel Coalition, just titled this. You don't have to have a well-formed opinion on everything. If that headline just doesn't speak great truth, that is it right there. Ian, why don't you get us into what Trevin had to talk about here? It is pretty wild to think about the fact that this was at least posted January 30th, 2019. Oh, yeah, two years ago. What am I talking about? Like, it's 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, how much has changed so since true. since then? So we'll see. We'll see how uh, how this article aged. Uh, he says, I'm sure it's happened to you before. You meet up with a friend or family member and you get asked about the latest hot button issue being chattered about incessantly on cable news, the latest outrageous event that has captured the attention of people scrolling through Twitter or Facebook feeds. The question inevitably comes either in the form of, can you believe this or the more open-ended, what do you think about it? And sort of like a common good <laughs> what original. Do you think? What do you think? Thoughts? Thoughts? <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with today's controversy, you may feel awkward for a moment. You don't know what they're talking about. And if you admit your ignorance, your friend may raise an eyebrow, see you as totally out of the loop and even think you're a little crazy for not paying closer attention. Never fear. If you're not up to speed on the news, they will fill you in so you can get as worked up about the issues as they are. <laughs> so the next heading here is social pressure to know the news and express a view. There's social pressure these days to choose a side and then express your opinion. Wow. That line aged well. Uh, he says on everything. The only thing more embarrassing than saying I'm not aware is saying I don't know what to think. After all, everyone knows what to think about everything, right? Anyone can react to a headline on Facebook. Everyone is expected to have a well-formed opinion on whatever is trending on Twitter. To be unaware or worse, undecided means you're complicit in the big problems of the day. What's going on? Why has this social pressure to be aware of and have an opinion on everything grown stronger in recent years? That's a great million-dollar question. And I do wonder if you think he's right, that to be undecided is even worse than being I do, unaware. And I think do it's agree? actually even worse now than when he wrote this. I think, uh, yeah, oh, that's sure. one thing to be unaware. And you have to really try these days to be unaware, right? Like not watch the news or social media or whatever. <laughs> but I do, especially as a, you know, now you and I somewhat uniquely are not only pastors, but also have a radio show where we have to talk about everything. But even that, when you're in conversations with people, it feels like there's constantly a referendum on what you think about something. And to be like, I don't really know what I think about that. I'm yeah, I'm wrestling with that. Doesn't mm -hmm. feel like it goes over well at all. I think he's completely right about this. I think that's also something that pastors have struggled often um, yes. unsuccessfully with, like the the notion that. At the very least, for the 30 minutes that I'm standing in a pulpit, I got to be the expert on on everything. And there are a few lessons I'm more grateful to have had beaten into me early in ministry than that one. Like the willingness to say, I'm not sure about this, or I'm still struggling with this, or I haven't arrived. Like I do think in a lot of ways that it's kind of like a muscle that you, you, you grow in, and it's it does take some practice. So he asks the question, why has this grown stronger in recent years. He says, one reason is the central place that political battles and culture wars have in the American psyche. When one's political orientation becomes a substitute mm -hmm. religion, oh boy, the world turns into a battle between believers and heretics. Everything becomes a fight to the death battle. Adding fuel to the fire is the uh, incul inculcation. Oh 
inculcation. Uh-huh. I've never seen uh-huh. that word before. I thought I thought my brain wanted to be inoculation, yeah. but I know that's not it. In the inculcation of the us versus them mentality that Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff, right. also David Fitch, right? That's literally the name of his book, as one of the great untruths threatening our society. Furthermore, we've fallen prey to the politics of disdain, where the animating forces of our civil discourse are not our principles, what we believe, but our disdain and despising mm-hmm. of the other side, who we hate. I'll stop there. I think that's a great distinction. It's a shifting from the what we believe to who we hate. Do we not see a lot of that playing I mean, out this, on the world stage the right world now? Was all together different two years ago, but there's almost feels prophetic, <laughs> like uh, because it's only gotten worse. Yeah, the fact right. that it's not about even principles, but our disdain and despising of the other side, like that is that is only exponentially grown since he wrote this and this us against them. Like you said, we've had that conversation with David Fitch now a couple times. Uh, and also the political orientation mm-hmm. becoming a substitute religion. And so everything is a belief. You, you and I talk about this all the time, that when your politics become good versus evil, you start to get things like uh, we have to take uh, take the other people down by any means necessary or I'm going to be a martyr or whatever else. Mm-hmm. You start hearing those languages. Uh, and we've seen a lot of that this year. But, man, I do. I think this is almost prophetic. This us versus them. Uh, this not only need to be informed, but need to have an opinion about everything. I think this he two years ago was putting his finger on a lot of what was um, uh, going wrong in society then and even more so is going wrong now. Well, let me mm-hmm. let me skip over some of it and get to uh, what I imagine is more what you were hoping to end the show with. Um, this section is called Wisdom and Humility, he says, but knowing that we live in a society enthralled by the spectacle where public life, political causes and civil debate are susceptible to widespread illusion, misinformation and propaganda means we should resist the pull to offer an opinion on everything. And then he goes on to talk about, um, well, I mean, we love Tim Keller, right? Last year, he says, I was struck by a comment Tim Keller made on a Christianity Today podcast. He was asked about a controversial subject, something he had considered uh, from more than one angle, and he admitted he was less sure of his viewpoint than wow. he had been at the beginning. Even more, he wasn't sure he had to have a strong opinion at all. He recognized that having a strong opinion didn't suddenly give him any power to affect the controversy anyway. That's like such a killer <laughs> level, like super Saiyan. like, you know what? I'm not even sure I need to feel strongly <laughs> about that. Like how much, how much of social media would look differently if we just gave three seconds to like that question? Yeah. Like, do I need to have a strong opinion? Obviously, we need to have strong yeah. opinions about things for sure. And to just simply say, yeah, let go and let God also not helpful. But it feels like the outrage pendulum has has certainly certainly swung more towards the uh, the fury. Yeah, he says the way of, of wisdom rec- means recognizing our limitations, both the limits on our knowledge and also the limits on our ability to affect change in the world. He says the way of wisdom frees us from having to have a well-formed opinion on every hot button issue of the day. We can always say, no matter how surprising or unpopular, mm-hmm. I don't know what I think about that. And uh, we could just stop there. Uh, like you said, there are certain things that as Christ followers, we need to have an opinion on. And, you know, but but it doesn't mean we, we live in a culture that basically tells us have an opinion on everything and not only have an opinion, be willing to fight for that opinion no matter what, no matter how strongly you feel. So like you said, when I read Tim Keller being like, I'm not sure I have an opinion or after thinking about that, I believe my original opinion a little less like to have that sort of humility, I think is so important. And it frees us, doesn't it? And it frees us to go, I don't have to be an expert on everything. And in fact, it probably 
buys me some credibility when I look at my congregation or my friends and say, I'm not sure what I think about that. I think that buys us credibility, don't you? Yeah, I do. I think that there probably is a small caveat for those who would willingly put themselves in positions of leadership. I think that leaders do, to some degree, wear an additional weightiness with having to do the hard work of figuring out, all right, what, yeah. where, where do we land on this? You know, I think there's probably there's time and space to say I don't yet have right. a well-formed opinion, mm-hmm. but I'm working on it. Um, I do think leaders in particular, and, and you know, interpret that however you will, have a greater responsibility to say, like, hey, we we can't stay ambiguous on this topic forever. I'm not ready yet to like sign an ink, but yeah. I want you to know that Good I'm working word. on it. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- I do think that there's a a slightly different gravity for someone that is willingly, you know, saying that they they are holding some level of influence or leadership. But uh, overall, yeah, like you said. Yeah, borderline prophetic in in some of what he's uh, asserting yeah, here from two years on. ago. You don't have to have a well-formed opinion on everything. Trevin Wax, it's up at our Facebook page. Well, it's been a great show. We're glad that you joined us today. Uh, we'll be back here from four until six tomorrow. Until then, uh, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.